Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. An Erio's original. I was born with a special gift. The ability to mentally transform any situation into the worst case scenario in my own brain. My therapist calls my gift catastrophizing. And that's why I'm uniquely qualified to scrutinize and analyze history's greatest disasters and find out who's to blame. They say history repeats itself. Not on my watch. My name is Rebecca Delgado-Smith, and I am The Alarmist. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to The Alarmist, a comedy podcast where we talk about history's greatest tragedies and figure out who's to blame. Today we're discussing the assassination of Harvey Milk. Here's what you need to know. Harvey Milk was born on May 22, 1930, in Woodmere, New York, the son of a Lithuanian-born father and a Lithuanian-American mother. His was a small, middle-class Jewish family, known in the community for their civic engagement. After graduating from college in 1951, he joined the Navy and served as a diving instructor in San Diego before resigning in 1955 after being officially questioned about his sexual orientation. Milk moved to New York as a civilian and worked several different jobs throughout the 60s and 70s, including public school teacher and on Broadway productions, all the while getting more and more involved in politics and advocacy. By 1972, Milk moved to San Francisco and opened a camera store on Castro Street. 
the iconic heart of the city's gay community, a grassroots community organizer in the truest sense, Milk was not taken very seriously by the political establishment at first. Looking like a hippie and trying to legalize marijuana didn't help. But eventually, he refined his rough edges, honed his speaking skills, and earned himself the nickname the Mayor of Castro Street. Key to his success was reaching beyond the gay community to win over union organizers, black and Chinese community leaders, small business owners, and most notably, the powerful Teamsters Union. Milk's charisma and million-dollar smile helped disarm unlikely allies who may have otherwise been biased against gay people and issues. After two unsuccessful runs for office, Milk won his third bid in 1977 and was inaugurated as a San Francisco City-County Supervisor on January 9, 1978. He made national and international headlines as the first openly gay elected official in California's history, a huge win for Milk and the LGBTQ community at large. Milk was a popular supervisor with an ambitious reform agenda that served the broad constituency. He sponsored an anti-discrimination bill, established daycare centers for working mothers, created low-cost housing, and reformed the tax code, among other issues. Milk led the fight against Proposition 6, a California ballot initiative that would have mandated the firing of gay teachers in the state's public schools. The proposition was defeated in a time when gay rights were still not supported in most parts of the country. Milk believed the fight for equality depended on more people using their voices. In one powerful speech, he declared, My name is Harvey Milk, and I'm here to recruit you. I'm tired of listening to the Anita Bryans twist the language of the Bible to fit their own distorted outlook. But, but, but I'm even more tired, I'm even more tired of the religious leaders of this nation who know it and remain silent. I'm tired of their silence. The Briggs can only be defeated if each and every one of you comes out to everyone you know you must. Yeah! In 1977, another man was elected to the Board of Supervisors on a decidedly different platform. Dan White was a Vietnam veteran and former cop who was unhappy with what he and his supporters perceived as growing tolerance of crime and homosexuality in San Francisco. A year after his election, however, he resigned, unable to support his family on the small salary and disgruntled by the ethics of the political world. When his police supporters urged him to change his mind, he appealed to Mayor George Moscone to get his job back, but the mayor turned him down. Days later, on November 27, 1978, Dan White entered San Francisco's City Hall through a ground floor window in order to bypass the building's metal detectors. He was carrying his police-issued revolver and headed upstairs to Mayor Moscone's office, hoping to once again beg for his job back. After a heated exchange, White fired five or six gunshots at Mayor Moscone, three into his head at point-blank range. White then reloaded his gun and tracked down Harvey Milk. Diane Feinstein, then president of the San Francisco Board of Supervisors, called the police after hearing more gunfire. She was the first to discover Milk dead on his office floor, shot five times, including twice in the head. 
Milk had lived with daily death threats and always knew the possibility of assassination existed. He'd even prepared for it, stating in his will, if a bullet should enter my brain, let that bullet destroy every closet door. On the day of his murder, Milk's teenage nephew, Stuart, came out, along with countless others across the United States. When marching for gay rights in Washington, D.C. shortly after his death, protesters chanted, Harvey Milk lives. Somewhere in Des Moines or San Antonio, there's a young gay person who all of a sudden realizes that she or he is gay, knows that if the parents find out, they'll be tossed out of the house. The classmates would taunt the child, and the Anita Bryans and John Briggs are doing their bit on TV, and that child had several options. Staying in a closet, suicide, and then one day that child might open a paper and it says homosexual elected in San Francisco, and there are two new options. The option is to go to California. Stay in San Antonio and fight. Fun facts, a.k.a. death stats. On November 27, 1978, Harvey Milk and Mayor George Moscone were assassinated. On May 21, 1979, Dan White was convicted of voluntary manslaughter, the lightest possible conviction for his crimes. The city erupted in violent demonstrations known today as the White Knight Riots. Supervisor Carol Ruth Silver was injured by a flying object during the riots, as were approximately 140 protesters and several dozen police officers. On November 9, 1985, almost two years after being released from prison, Dan White died by suicide of an apparent carbon monoxide poisoning at his home in the Excelsior District of Southeast San Francisco. With us today, we have producer Amanda Lund. Hello, Rebecca. Fact checker Chris Smith. Hello. And our very special guest today is comedian Guy Branham. Hi, Guy. Hello, Rebecca. Very good to be here. Happy Pride. Happy Pride to you, too. Um, I just want to tell our listeners a little bit about you. He, Guy is honestly one of my favorite comedians. <laughs> and if you don't already know him, please get to know him. And you can because your show, Talk Show the Game Show, is now on HBO Max. It's very exciting. It originally ran on a cable network no one's heard of, and now it's on HBO Max. I believe the second show we ever did when it was a live show, two of the guests were fellow members of the Harvard sailing team, though it would be hard to narrow down with the sheer number of members of the Harvard sailing team that there are. <laughs> Guy also has an encyclopedic knowledge of comedy and comedians, yeah. which I am always... You always appreciate. Now, Guy, we'd like to start our show off by asking our guests, what is something that is recently alarming you? Something that is possibly keeping you up at night? Oh, that's a really great question. I'm going to say the murder of Postmates and Uber Eats. It's fucking chaos out there. For an entire year, we were able to safely rely upon Postmates bringing things to our door, just leaving it there, no trouble. And frankly, uh, we were all lulled into a sense of false security and Uber took over, and now it's just fucking chaos on the streets. You try to get a salad, and somebody shows up four blocks away and just leaves it in front of someone's door, and <laughs> I'm going to have to 
I think it's a good move. I think it is pushing us all to return to going to restaurants and picking things up for ourselves, which is nice. I was worried, you know, how will quarantine have changed us? And luckily, the failures of capitalism will demand that we return to normalcy. My trust in Uber, my trust in Silicon Valley, everything has collapsed from two orders from Tender Greens. (laughs) (laughs) Those institutions lose credibility. If, If those fries show up soggy, it's just, it's over for Silicon Valley. Gosh, that is just the perfect transition into talking about <laughs> this terrible tragedy. Um, Guy, I'm known for my wonderful transitions. Well, Postmates delivers meals, and you have milk with meals uh, sometimes. Well, no. I was thinking more Silicon Valley is in San Francisco. That's close. Oh, <laughs> or nearby, <laughs> you know? And, mm-hmm. and, and, and we should all have major beef with this area for this terrible tragedy that happened, of course, in uh, 1978. So I did my research. (laughs) What big part of my research was watching that 1984 documentary. It's so good. So good. (laughs) Like I, I have some beef with the like movie with what's his name? Um, Uh, Sean Sean, Penn Penn movie. And part of my problem with the Sean Penn movie is like there are no women in the Sean Penn movie. But if you watch the times of Harley Harvey Milk, like you see all of these for, like lesbians who were activists in the 80s who were like really getting shit going and who Harvey Milk was, you know, accessing and supporting and really getting to help him. And, and like all of the great coalitions about of people who even, you know, beyond queer women who were involved in that movement. And I love it. And also you just get Harvey Firestein's voice for two hours. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like to know what my favorite part of any movie about gay men in the 1970s is? Tell me. Just that ticking clock until they play Mighty Real by Sylvester. Like, it's it's only a matter of time before they play Mighty Real by Sylvester. And, like, your disco divas, your female divas, like, they may be in the movie, they may not, but fucking Sylvester's gonna be there. Oh, my God. I think it takes, like, 16 minutes for, for it to come on in this one. <laughs> You know I'm already plotting to put that at the end of this episode. (laughs) Um, It's a fantastic documentary. I highly recommend it. And honestly, I, you know, it it does kind of bring me to tears just because you're watching real footage of of Harvey Milk. And like he, he was definitely an effervescent personality and such a an incredible loss you know that his death was such an incredible loss i i think that there is something <laughs> movies have trained us to see beauty and tragedy and i don't know that that's necessarily a, a good thing or a positive thing but i do think seeing all of the demonstrations that happened and demonstrations in the daytime that happened by queer people in front of cameras at a point in time when if you lived in San Francisco with your boyfriend or girlfriend, your parents back in Idaho probably didn't know. And people who, you know, um, put themselves out there, you know, made themselves be visible because somebody had been so punished for being visible. Um, So let's start by putting things up on the board. (laughs) (laughs) It's Sean Penn's ass up there. (laughs) Um, 
homophobia. Shall we start with homophobia? Sure. <laughs> um, as history shows over and over again, I mean, when discriminated minority groups gain ground in America, the establishment forcefully reacts to reaffirm their power. This is according to Found San Francisco. Many across the United States consider San Francisco to be a gay mecca due to its large gay community located primarily in the Castro District as well as the city's relatively liberal attitude towards sex. Until the 1960s, though, the Castro was largely a white working-class Irish neighborhood known as Eureka Valley. A shift came during World War II when many soldiers came to San Francisco and formed gay relationships. Their soldiers, these soldiers then stayed in the city after being discharged for homosexuality. In the 1950s, yeah, beat culture erupted in San Francisco and notoriously rebelled against middle-class values, thus aligning itself with homosexuality and helped bring gay culture to mainstream attention. In the mid-late 1950s, groups such as the Daughters of uh, Bilites, is, am I saying that? Blitis. Blitis. And yeah. uh, the, uh, the Mattachine Society were born, as well as the Tavern Guild, which was the first openly gay business associate, association. In 1969, there were 50 gay organizations. The famous Stonewall Riot in New York City happened in June 1969, led to an explosion of gay consciousness and self-organization. By 1973, there were over 800 organizations. Gay bars grew from 58 in 1969 to 234 in 1980. By organizing socially, culturally, and politically, the gay community came into its own in the 1970s. The upsurge of anti-gay, homophobic feelings in the United States came to San Francisco, too. In 1978, an ultra-conservative state senator put on the statewide ballot, the Briggs Initiative, intended to ban gays from teaching in the public schools. With the energetic participation of Milk and thousands of newly self-empowered gay activists, uh, Briggs was defeated by a sound majority. Not long after the election, Dan White assassinated Harvey Milk. Um, Rebecca, do you think we should put the Briggs Initiative on the board just because that was oh, yeah, seemed to have been a pivotal there. moment? I would also, I would say Miss America Anita Bryant, who um, was a very vocal advocate for both Orange Juice and the Briggs Initiative, should also maybe make her way to the board. Put her up. Just for the, the, the marketing. Yeah. The, the, she gave it a lot of traction, sadly. Why don't we talk about that for a second? It's Proposition 6. According to a New York Times article from 1978, with only one of the 11 supervisors opposing the measure and Mayor George Moscone publicly committed to signing it, the ordinance which would ban discrimination in employment, housing, and public accommodations based on sexual presence seems assured of becoming law preference. This will be the most stringent gay rights law in the country, said Supervisor Harvey Milk. This one has teeth. A person can go to court if his rights are violated once this is passed. Mr. Milk said gays were ecstatic that the long-delayed ordinance had finally been brought up for vote and had received initial approval by such a large margin. Supervisor Dan White, who had voted against the ordinance, said that his objection to the measure was based on its intrusion, quote, intrusion into the city's private sector, especially those businesses or schools that do not receive public funds and that might have strong personal or moral reasons for not wanting to hire homosexuals. 
According to the city attorney's office, if a transvestite shows up at a private school with all the qualifications for teaching, they cannot refuse to hire him for an opening, even if they object to having a man dressed as a woman in their school, Mr. White said, adding, uh, respect the private rights of all people, including gays. This sounds like special rights to me. I mean, this sounds like people getting handed some special rights to what? not be fired just because I want to fire them because of who they go home home to at night. Um, and by go home to at night, I do not mean a permanent partner. I mean like a fun club. Like, <laughs> let's not be heteronormative about this. Um, but I just, there's nothing better than just bracing yourself for any mention of trans identity from before 2000. I know it's like, really it's just, hard to read. This actually has happened a couple of times where like a local municipality will pass a gay rights ordinance and then the state will turn around and pass some like overarching legal thing to deprive gay people of of rights like in the 90s in Colorado Aspen passed a nice you can't deny gay people an apartment or their job just for being gay and then the state passed Again, it's all Western states. You guys are from the East Coast, so you have no idea. Uh But out here in the wild, wild West, um, we allowed rampant populism to pass any law they want um, if they just get enough signatures. And so in uh, Colorado, they passed a law that said you could never in court assert your gayness as any reason for anything. And it was like so sweeping that that was the first time something went to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court was like, you can't do that to gay people. And it was kind of like a little good thing for us, but only because of how horrible they were trying to be. So, you know, it's really like it is so awesome that the Briggs Amendment wasn't passed here because I think if the Supreme Court had seen that in 1981 or something like that, it could have been or. Actually, 81 wouldn't have been bad. 85 would have been horrifying. Right, right. <laughs> it's, it's true. Like, in a way, he was a martyr, right? Because he, he did help this very uh, important initiative um, not go through. And, and, and who, knows how, who knows where we would be, I guess, if it hadn't, or if it had. You know what I mean? If, if it hadn't mm-hmm. such, had such... Uh, vocal opposition exactly and he knew that by coming out and being such an you know so vocal about it he was gonna have a target on him i mean the other side of it is like he was the first notable politician we had in this country that people paid attention to and i always just wonder if he had been around in 85 would things would the government approach to the AIDS crisis have been different if mm. there was somebody who was talking and making noise. Yeah. And there was just, you know, there was a generation where, you know, t- two thirds of the out guys, you know, didn't make it to 35. And it left us in a situation where y- th- there wasn't that much l- like leadership. And it really did, you know, um, like, Queer women stepped forward, and and so many other people had to step forward. A little too much Sharon Stone stepping forward. Like, a little too much ladies in Hollywood wearing red ribbons and sucking up all of the attention. Like, Liz and Liza are fine, but everyone else needs to just... And Judith Light. Judith Light has consistently done good work. Um, But, like, your Sharon Stones, it's like, calm down. Yeah. (laughs) 
another, you know, I was also thinking like another, oh, what, what could have happened situation? Like, could he have been Diane Feinstein? I think she needs to go on that board because when, when Moscone dies and Milk dies, you lose like mayor and a vote on the council. So the council goes from being a narrow left-leaning majority to a narrow right-leaning majority, which means Feinstein becomes mayor. Um, You know, a couple years later, Alan Cranston has some troubles, has some financial troubles. Who steps up to take that Senate seat? Why, Dianne Feinstein. And Mm. she's been there for 30 goddamn years. And, Mm. you know, she'll be there until the day she goes. But I do think, like, you know, to your point of would he have been Dianne Feinstein, I I think it would have been really hard for a gay person to win statewide office in the 1990s. But I don't think San Francisco would be the San Francisco, like the techie, businessy San Francisco that it is today if Feinstein hadn't gotten eight long years or however long as mayor of San Francisco. Oh, interesting. Silicon Valley. I, I, I hate to say this, but I feel like we've gone quite a ways without putting Dan White up. Yeah, on yeah. The board. <laughs> yeah, 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 yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you took <laughs> the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> Feinstein went up before Dan White. <laughs> but that's it fine. Happens. Look, he it committed. Happens. It does hey, happen. This is the alarmist. He committed. He confessed to both of the murders. And uh, I want to talk about something that's kind of connected to him, which is police power and impunity. Mm. I want to put that up on the board. Now, according to The Guardian, Harvey Milk derived in a city that was home to institutions of gay liberation, all of which developed in response to a deep strain of government-sanctioned homophobia endorsed by many natives, the Catholic Church, and the largely Irish San Francisco Police Department. Okay, some stats, oral sex was still illegal in 1970, though the gay to straight ratio for arrest was in the region of 200 to one homosexuality was legal cause for ejection from rental housing and California's sodomy laws remained in force until 1974 when straight George Moscone helped to overthrow them. Until then, arrests for sodomy required lifelong registrations as a sex offender. The San Francisco Police Department was a byword for malevolent prosecution and entrapment and received active encouragement from the Democratic mayor, Joseph Aliotto, who sought votes among the conservative Catholic working class. The killer, 32-year-old Vietnam veteran, ex-cop, and uh, until his recent resignation, elected city supervisor entered San Francisco City Hall through a ground floor window. He was carrying his police-issued revolver. That's what he used for the assassination. According to the New York Times, in 1977, the strong support from the city's police union, whose leaders were angry over what they perceived as a growing official tolerance of crime and of overt homosexuality and prostitution, Dan White was elected to the Board of Supervisors on a conservative platform. But a year later, he resigned saying that his salary, 9600 a year, was not enough to support his family and that he was unhappy with the ethics he found in the political world. After his police supported, uh, supporters advised him to change his mind, Mr. White asked Mr. Moscone to let him rescind the resignation. The mayor turned it down. Several days later, he killed Mr. Milk. Now, 
This is back to The Guardian. Whatever prompted his actions on November 27, White cut a sorry figure in his recorded confessions to police, sobbing loudly to his interrogator, who was a former colleague on the force, a friend of his family and perhaps overly sympathetic to him. Lol, perhaps. Um, (laughs) uh, For many, the murders of Milk and Moscone coming a week after the mass suicides of mainly local residents at Jonestown in Guyana, which we'll talk about later, were a bruise upon a bruise for the grieving city. But the police department, uh, the last unreformed bastion of working class white bigotry, kept faith with the killer. On the police bandwidth, the night of the killings, a voice sang Danny Boy over and over. Well, that's so, bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you think? I mean, it's not, it's a after the murders bad, but, you know. But it, it gives you an insight as to what's happening, what, what kind of culture is already in the police force. Yeah. Well, first of all, just the idea of sodomy was illegal in many parts of this country until 2003. I went to law school in Minnesota. I managed to get illegal sodomy in just under the wire. It was really exciting. (laughs) Um, Congrats. And um, so it meant that anytime you talked about being gay, any, any, any place that was a bar that catered to gay people... That was a place that was um, a locus for criminals. You were advocating criminality. Like, speech laws didn't protect it because you were supporting criminality and, and that sort of thing. And then there's the the other side of this. I mean, I, I'm sure we will get to it eventually. But um, Dan White only served eight years, I believe, because his defense of voluntary manslaughter, mm. the Twinkie defense. Yes. Mm-hmm. I do think we should have dietary restrictions up on the, um, up <laughs> on the board. Uh, um, but basically, that is like a, a funny term that goes around this one, but people need to understand that there's this thing called the gay panic defense that is still a viable defense in 48 states. What? For everyone but California and Illinois. If... Uh, you guys are from New York, right? Uh, New York and Florida, so... Okay. Um, I'm sorry. I was not respecting the, the Cuban-American status. <laughs> I was ignoring what your grandparents went through, Rebecca. Oh, my God. I, I apologize really seen. I appreciate it. Thank yeah. you. Um, but if I were to, in a bar in New York, inform Chris Smith that he had a nice ass, and then he shot me... <gasps> he you. would be able to say, I had to. It was so upsetting that a gay person hit on me that I ha- I had to kill him. And it's not murder, it's manslaughter mm. if you do that. Like, it wow. is more legal to kill gay men and trans <gasps> women in this country still. And it, it is not a frequently applied defense at this point in time, but it is just that residue of a world that considers... And especially getting our heads into 1978, right? Yeah. That it is, that that's what you did with fags. Like that that was a more right thing to do with fags, I think, is is on the minds of everyone. And when you get an adult mind like Dan White's, it, it takes it to that place. You know, and and like that's that's what happened to Matthew Shepard. Like, you know, it's it, it's a real thing that's a little bit scary that probably we won't have to deal with 
that much longer, but um, it's weird that it was there, and it's weird the ways that it like floats around in our heads, you know. Is, is it? I'm starting to search for a term to put up on yeah. the board. Is it? Would it? Would legal indoctrination of homophobia be a, an appropriate uh, term? Well, what Guy was saying, it's like gay, the gay panic defense. We could just put yes, that up on the board. Yes, let's put that. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Along with the Twinkie. And let's talk about this Twinkie defense, which is yes. incredible. This is <laughs> insane. Um, San Francisco Examiner says, confess killer Dan White's attorney devised what came to be known as the Twinkie defense, arguing that White's mental state was such that he could not be convicted of first-degree mor- murder, but only of manslaughter. The defense offered testimony that White, a one-time star athlete and normally devoted to good nutrition, had gorged himself on Twinkies, cupcakes, chocolate bars and cokes supposed evidence of his mental distress but the twinkie folks profess that they were unbothered by the bad publicity okay so twinkie didn't care is what this is saying <laughs> but just the fact that this twinkie defense is so ingrained in our culture that it appears in law dictionaries in sociology textbooks in college exams and in more than 2800 references in google only a few of them call it what it is a myth or cheated on my diet and oops kill the guy there's this thing called jury nullification which is regardless of what the law is if you give the jury a good enough excuse a jury will come around and make somebody not guilty for something that the law says you're guilty for in you know in the, the thing is is like the 70s are so much closer than the six to the 60s than we give them credit for and mm. like in the 60s you could fucking take a shotgun shoot a student like a black student protester and you like were just I mean, I'm saying this while at the same time, within the past two or three years, there have been a number of old white people who shot black people right. and were like, he reached for his waistband. Right. And like that's all you need is giving a jury and also let us not fucking forget. It's the nineteen seventies. Women were still cis I don't know about California. But women were less likely to be on juries significantly than men because women had to opt into juries in in most states. So Mm. it's a bunch of dudes, like, saying, like, oh, well, you know, how bad is it really? You know? (laughs) It's true. But although I'm I'm reading here that the jury was actually the makeup of the the conservative. It was a conservative jury, but mostly female, many with children the age of the defendant, though. Oh, there were no gay people on the jury and no African-Americans. No, I'm assuming no people of color. Uh, can I ask a question real quick? Because yeah. I know that Dan White, I don't know what the truth is, but what I'm kind of reading up on is that his primary motivation wasn't necessarily homophobia. Is that right or wrong? Like, why did he do these assassinations? Um, because also I'm seeing that he was opposed to Prop 6 as well so where what is his motivation for the assassinations obviously it's probably very layered yeah i mean the defense said that he was um pissed off about basically he was gr- pissed off about how he was treated in politics basically on the, on the city okay. council or whatever i mean we don't know because uh he he did die by suicide uh, after he came out of of, of prison. So like I, I don't know if anyone's ac- actually interviewed him and asked him why he did it. But what I the 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 sense I get was that he not you know 
it's displaced anger in a lot of ways. He's upset with himself because he ended up, uh, you know, uh, uh, walking away from this job and then wanting to get the job bag mm. back and then having the mayor be like, you can't have this job back. And so he's he's a disgruntled employee. Um, but at the at the same time, you have to layer in all of uh, the homophobia that is part of his not not just campaign and, and life but part of like what's happening in the city mm. and 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 it's like that misdirected anger where he puts all it's all you know milk's fault ego hubris something like that maybe well like what entitlement like straight cis yeah. I like white entitlement there is something so interesting about you saying that about the the salary for supervisors it was the norm to not pay legislators, I mean, especially like local politicians, a living wage to do the thing that they do because it was sort of assumed that you would already just be rich on your own terms. And it, like, it is kind of a sad thing. It In states where you pay a living wage to be a state legislator, you have a lot more women who are doing it. You have a lot more mm-hmm. people from diverse economic backgrounds. And, you know, I'm not excited about sympathizing with the guy. I mean... He seems like he just had a screw loose. And it seems like that the screw loose was able to play into a lot of forces. Entitlement, significant amongst them. Just a notion of, like, dudes are supposed to be in charge, right? And not the fag dudes, the real dudes. Yeah. One more thing for the board. Christine Baranski's Emmy, conceptually. (laughs) Hear me out. On the television program, Sybil... Like, it's it's supposed to be a, about Sybil Shepard. Sybil Shepard was so excited to be coming back. The first season was great. But then Christine Baranski gets nominated for and wins an Emmy. And Sybil Shepard melts down because suddenly it's about Christine Baranski, who was supposed to be the sassy friend and not about her. And she ends up firing Chuck Lorre and melting down at everyone. And I just wonder if Dan White was like, look at me. I'm a handsome dad who was a firefighter. I'm what America's supposed to be. And everybody was supposed to be excited about that. But then fucking Harvey Milk came along and Baranskied him. And he felt like he wasn't the like the star anymore. Oh, bless you. I think that's exact. That's what I was trying to express earlier. Um, but I, I think you're right. I, I think that's absolutely maybe what happened in his mind. At least there's the no. At effect. least at least there's no way for us to prove that that's not what happened. <laughs> 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 that's what I'll say. <laughs> I think it's good. It makes a lot of sense to me. And I, uh, I we can't do this podcast and not talk about the pooper scooper ordinance too. Um, that was part of his Harvey uh, Milk's angle for getting elected into the position, which was that, you know, essentially San Francisco had a big poop dog poop problem on the streets. And he Harvey is is documented as saying that he thought whoever solved the poopers, the poop problem in San Francisco was going to be elected. And he he gave he gave this press conference where he planted a piece of poop on the ground, and he after he was done giving a speech about the problem, he stepped on the poop and was like, "Oh, you know, the poop. We need to solve the poop problem." And he he got a lot of support, you know, based on that. My 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 thinking here is 
had had he not been so brilliant about the you know pooper scooper <laughs> ordinance, he wouldn't have gotten elected, and perhaps he would have still be here, right. been here. You know, it's one of those things. Put it up. The other thing we could throw up is uh, perhaps the Jonestown massacre. It, it's weirdly connected to this tragedy. It had um, happened, uh, I believe it was a week earlier. And something that I didn't know was that there were a lot of people who died in the Jonestown Massacre who were from San Francisco. So the the city was pretty raw still from the news about this uh, massacre. And it, it was then a week later that Moscone decided he wasn't going to allow Dan White to become, uh, you know, go back into his position, it, it is said that he was teetering between the two options. Mm. Um, and after the Jonestown massacre, he decided that he wasn't going to do it. Well, there, there is that like weird sort of Joan Didion saying that the the Manson murders were the end of the sixties. This weird sort of like the Jonestown is just like this rush of like hippie crazy that was still in the town. And I do think, you know, there's always been a lot of crazy in San Francisco and it's weird that the murderous, well, look, no hippie crazy did a lot of murder murderous at Jonestown, but then like reactionary to hippie crazy, like took down Moscone and milk. Mm. That's interesting. And maybe we could put up something like culture of assassination because it really uh, was like in the sixties, like people we think today's 2020 was crazy, but like in the sixties, people were getting assassinated left and right moving into the seventies. It seems like, yeah, that's such a good point. Okay. So we have to figure out who we want to cross off the list, but before we do that, let's take a quick break. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. 
All right. Who's to blame for the assassination of Harvey Milk? Homophobia. The Briggs Initiative, a.k.a. Prop 6. Anita Bryant. Diane Feinstein. Dan White. Police power and impunity. Dietary restrictions. Gay panic defense. Twinkie defense. Straight white entitlement. Christine Baranski's Emmy, conceptually. (laughs) Pooper scooper ordinance. The Jonestown Massacre, or a culture of assassination? Good list. I'm really, really excited about this list we've compiled. I think off the bat, we can take the pooper scooper ordinance off the board. I'm going to say we should get rid of Anita because she was vocal, a great singer, but fundamentally more powerful in her native Florida than she was in California. Okay. Interesting. (laughs) Yeah. Do Diane Feinstein? <laughs> We're gonna stick. Do we stick with her on the board? Let her go. Now, what about the Jonestown massacre and culture of assassination? I feel like those are maybe not our strongest contenders. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. I, I, I like culture of assassination and think it should stay up because okay. it really is just the truth that I think was. This is just before Reagan gets shot, but it really is like the one of the last moments of it and one of the least relevant. Like, there's a way that this very preemptive shooting of Milk was almost a person looking at, like, Malcolm X and um, Martin Luther King and just being like, a a civil rights movement? This is how you stop it. Um, Ah. So let's leave it up for a while. I mean, I'm sure it will go eventually, but we'll leave it up for another second. Yeah, I mean... (laughs) What about the the Baranski Emmy? Should we stay, stick with that? <laughs> Keep it up. I li- I like it still. I think that has to stay up. But I think we can look at the Twinkie and Gay Panic defense. Okay, I, because it does seem like that was post. It was a uh, something that came about after. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I don't think it was it was motivating him knowing yes, right, exactly. that he would get away with it. But and I and I think if there was anything. Of that, that was motivating him. It was straight white, ma- ma- straight yes. white male entitlement. Yeah. So maybe we can even wrap up police power and impunity into straight white entitlement. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Something about the police. I don't know. I, I feel like they go hand in hand. But yeah, I, I think it's stronger for this. Okay. So we ha- still have homophobia, the uh, uh, Briggs Initiative, Dan White, dietary restrictions still up on the board. Straight white male entitlement, the Christine Baranski Emmy conceptually, and culture of assassination. Shall I think it's time for dietary restrictions. I'm wondering if we can fold homophobia into the Briggs Initiative because it feels like um, the Briggs Initiative, it, there's like a, a, a line you can draw to the assassination of Harvey Milk, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We could roll Dan White into straight white male entitlement or vice versa? Here's what I'm going to say about, like, Dan White. In the law, we ask the question of a but-for causation. But-for Dan White, would Harvey Milk have been fine? I'm going to say Dan White was the tool, like the gun was the tool, but there was other shit a-coming for him for being um, that loud and proud. Mm. So I like I like Amanda's pitch of folding Dan White into straight white male entitlements because I think um, Dan White was 
a screwy guy who did a disgusting thing, but there were bigger forces a Bruin that honestly, that literally five years later, we're going to let tens of thousands of gay guys die right. without yeah, lifting a goddamn finger. Well, that yes. is a very, very compelling argument for that. Yeah. 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 So we took Dan White off the board. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I agree. So what are you narrowing in on, Rebecca? What's looking hot to you? For me, it's hard to get past the straight white male entitlement of the situation, but honestly, the Briggs Initiative, the fact that he brought down the Briggs Initiative is a good thing, right? So I guess since that's the case, we can put, if we put the Briggs Initiative into the alarmist jail and gave straight white male entitlement the big slap, how does that, can we sit with that for a second? How does that feel? Not super satisfying, right? I, I like it the other way around because I do think the Briggs – you're very right to center on the Briggs Initiative because when you start up some fires, then there are coals of burning. You know, like they had decided as a wedge issue to like turn out Republican or, you know, conservative voters with this thing and it led to a, a normalization of hate and dehumanization. Yes. I will say we we can remove the Christine Baranski's Emmy effect. <laughs> but I do think a person, I do think someone will eventually win the Nobel Prize for Economics for analyzing the Christine Baranski's <laughs> Emmy effect in various market situations. <laughs> You're just going to leave that there for somebody's dissertation, huh, guy? Take any, yeah, any, just, any of the alarmy listeners out there can just take that and run with it. No, no, straight white male entitlement has to go to jail. It has to learn a lesson. <laughs> oh, it'll never learn a lesson, guy. <laughs> it's it's still on the move. Also, the prison guards are going to like it and take care of it and bring it stuff from outside of the jail. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I, I do. I agree with you. Okay. I, I think I think we narrowed it down and I'm going to call it the Briggs Initiative. You're getting the big slap. Straight white male entitlement. Once again, you're going to the alarmist jail. Stay put, baby. <laughs> and guy, just to comment on that, in our prison, in the alarmy prison, we have... We actually encourage socialization between guards and inmates because we try and make it more of a humanizing experience so that we rehabilitate these concepts and people over the course of time. So we, we definitely want to sort of drop, bring down that divide between, you know, you know, a corrections officer and an inmate in the alarmist prison. I look forward to that day where straight white male entitlement is just like expressing itself through ceramics and <laughs> an, as- an associate's degree in like uh, heating and ventilation, you know, um, instead of systematically excluding women from everything. Yeah. <laughs> it would be a beautiful future. Mm-hmm. Well, Guy, thank you so much for joining us today and helping us get to the bottom of who's to blame for the assassination of Harvey Milk. Thank you so much for having me. After the assassination of Harvey Milk, Dan White was charged with first-degree murder, but only convicted of voluntary manslaughter, in part thanks to the Twinkie defense used by his lawyers. 
On May 21, 1979, the day of White's conviction, protesters stormed City Hall to voice their anger at the lenient sentencing. They later took to the streets, marching, looting, and rioting in what came to be known as the White Knight Riots. Police cars were burned, City Hall was vandalized, and several people were injured and arrested. Later that night, police stormed the Elephant Walk, Castro's most famous and politically active gay bar, bashing people's heads and destroying the property. The White Knight Riots took place the day before what would have been Harvey Milk's 49th birthday. The Twinkie defense was banned by the state legislature and voters under Proposition 8 in 1982. In 1991, the state Supreme Court unanimously upheld the ban. Since the late 70s, hundreds of openly LGBTQIA people have served as elected officials. Public and legislative support of gay rights continues to grow in the United States and around the world. But there is still a long way to go. you think is to blame by going to the alarmistpodcast.com follow us at the alarmist the on twitter at the alarmist podcast on instagram or email us at the alarmist podcast at gmail.com tune in next week we'll be covering tanya harding's attack on nancy kerrigan Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.